Sonic. Oh, good Lord. That was a bit hot, wasn't it? I, I think something must have actually gone a bit crazy from last week, because last week, I don't know if anybody watched live last week, we had a slight issue. There was a there was actually a massive power cut, uh, um, and so Sonic Talk was interrupted. Um, uh, I should say, actually, hello, welcome to Sonic Talk. This is episode 492. I'm going to stick with the num- no, the the the, uh, the sequence just because otherwise it will throw everything else out. So uh, Sonic Talk is the podcast dedicated to music technology, musical instruments, software, synthesizers, uh, the technology of musical creation, recording, live sound, any of that kind of stuff, and all the sort of issues surrounding it. Uh, we broadcast weekly uh at Wednesday at 4pm UK time on YouTube Live and also Facebook Live. Uh, You'll be able to get the podcast via iTunes as an MP3 and also as... um, on YouTube after the effect. So don't worry if you miss it or you've... You have to go. You can't watch the whole thing. Don't worry. I also want to say thank you very much to our sponsors. We've got uh, uh, mentioned for uh, Isotope are going to be giving away a copy of Neutron. And if you were around two weeks ago, because we didn't get time to do the uh, competition last week because of the power cut you will find out whether or not you won so uh, we'll try and aim to do that somewhere around halfway through anyway thank you very much for watching and um hello everybody let's start over here we've got mr mark doty mark doty uh, of course automatic gainsay synth review in fact he's got the matrix brute behind him there Mark, i'm trying to think um where are you i am in saint paul minnesota now ah okay Different time zones, so there's been a bit of a scramble this morning getting ready, but uh, yes, despite the fact that my microphone wouldn't seem to work with Skype and the fact that my laptop just went completely down and I couldn't bring it back, so now I'm on the iPad. It's been an interesting morning here sounds, in St. Paul. Sounds better, though, to be honest. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so you've moved, you've relocated, and of course, um, if you haven't seen Mark Doty's Synthesizer Review... Um, I don't know. How many are you up to now on the Matrix Brew? I last counted nine videos. So, Well, there are currently, uh, I think, 16. I think there are 18 of them. Whoa. I, there are two that I don't think I've uploaded yet. Um, and there's there's a lag between what the general public sees and what my Patreon supporters see. My Patreon supporters see them as they come out. Everyone else gets them like twice a week. Uh, so I'm not sure who has seen what at this point. The whole thing is pretty overwhelming. I mean, it's never, it's never been like this except for with the Pro 2, which is the other one that got up to 18. But I'm probably going to make it up to about 23 videos, which is just wow. How do you decide to how to break it down? I mean, do you kind of uh, do do I guess if a synthesizer's got too many features, then you'd have to get into kind of you know you could get into ridiculous levels of uh, of granularity, right? It's true. I try to break it down basically general functions. And then I just try to do like things at the same time, things that are similar at the same time. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's sometimes where I kind of have to juggle things or sometimes I combine things when the functionality is somewhat limited, but when you have a modular synthesizer, it was the same thing with the pro two, I don't know what to do because it's impossible, literally impossible to demonstrate every function, which is what I typically do. So I have to find a way to sort of hint at possibility, which is hard. Mm. I know that feeling. I mean, I did the, uh, the peak review. I only did three videos. Well, actually it was two parter. Then I did a sort of sounds only thing as well. And, uh, you know, that was really difficult to kind of try and get everything in because, 
I mean, just looking at the mod matrix, I mean, the matrix route is even worse. I mean, the mod matrix, like, there's something like kind of 10,000 possible routings. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to go into all of those, obviously, because that would just be crazy. Right. So it's a question of sensation of it. So, um, but I'm guessing uh, you feel... You feel you feel complete. What's next on your uh, on your list of uh, of reviews? Then, what's your next uh, item? Um, that I'm not sure I can say yet. Oh, there's uh, exciting. Yeah, there's there's a new thing that's going to be happening uh, from a certain company, and uh, I I can't really you can't really say anymore. Uh, no, that's yes. fair enough. Uh, one thing I should say: exciting uh, box open today, just before uh, the show. This is the sound of the Digitact, the Electron Digitact, which arrived. I've got it for a little while. I'm going to sort of try and get to know it a bit. I'm not going to attempt to review it totally because Cenk, very kindly, uh, is going to come over and do a... We'll do the double act thing over there. In the, But I'm going to um, do a kind of, hello, I've got one, unboxing, you know, here's what a few sounds are, questions in the comments type of thing. So, uh, yeah, we will do. Uh, if you've just joined us, uh, Sonic Talk, obviously... Um, we're here. Uh, last week, we missed, obviously, a show because there was a power cut and it was impossible to bring everything back up. But I have managed to brought, bring all the stuff back up and uh, get it all working again, hopefully. But there might be something that crips in that, that means I don't realise it's not working until it's too late. So anyway, thank you very much, Mark Doty. Automatic Gainsay. Check him out on uh, YouTube and all of those other places. And, of course, we have another Mark. This is a double Mark week. So we also have Mr. Mark Tinley, Sonus Magus, uh, sound designer, um, shopkeeper, a little shop of very interesting uh, audio curiosities. Would that Indeed. be a fair assumption? I think so, that's a pretty fair assumption, yeah. So we haven't had you for a little came, while either. Somebody came in earlier and they were wearing these very rainbow kind of Tibetan kind of woolen fleecy thing. I said, oh, wow, I like your top. That's really colourful. And she said, wow, this music shop's amazing. It's the most brilliant music shop I've ever been in. Oh, it's so colourful and, and, and wonderful. And I went, Did you buy wow, anything? Okay. So I must be doing something right. I'm making all the hippies happy. So the hippies happy. Did yes. you, making all the hippies. I'm going to make a note of that. That is a great show title. <laughs> making all the hippies happy. Um, did you sell her anything? No. Ah, well, that's not quite the same. I'm not thing, really then. a salesman, to be honest. I don't. You know, I don't know how to do the clothes. So I do the banter and, and warm them all up and everything. And then at that point, you're meant to do the open your wallet and give me money thing. And I don't know, I can't read people, so I don't know if they really want to buy something or not. And then, you know, good salesmen would find out what they wanted to buy and manage and how they needed to sell it to them. I haven't got any of that. Ah, uh, well, I'm you sure know it's something that will come. It's not what I'm up to anyway, so it's uh, it's more about making weird stuff and having fun and presenting it to the world. So um, Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. I guess we should probably get onto a few topics. The <laughs> uh, first one is rather sad, actually, because uh, I don't know if you remember this. This is uh, obviously a classic. So I'm going to play some of it unashamedly. I don't know if you know this, but uh, this is uh, Robert Miles, who died very suddenly, um, or at least to us. I mean, he may have been unwell for a bit, but this is a massive track in the night. I don't know if it translated to the States. I think it did pretty well in the States. Let's have a look. I think it went gold in the States. This is Children. And this was kind of the the beginning of the kind of stadium, mainstream, trancey, ambient kind of stuff. You, when you hear the beat, you'll probably remember it. This was huge. Ah. 
It's just a shame that it's kind of under such sad circumstances that he's gone. And and in in many ways, um, it, it was a real, it wasn't quite a flash in the pan, but it was such a huge record. And then the, the album that it came off, which I think was, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called now. Um, it 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 it, it dreamland that's right and it went it was so huge and so pervasive and it really and certainly in europe it really he really kind of made defined a whole sound of you know what people were looking for certainly if you were doing remixes at the time that sort of thing that's kind of what i i want it to be like that because that was absolutely every i mean obviously very sad news and our condolences go out to him and his family and all of the all of the people who knew him but i thought it was what was interesting was um there's a lot of technology surrounding this. So I, I'll start with you, Mark. I don't know if this actually... Um, I'll start with you, Mark Doty, I should say. <laughs> <that's it. laughs> Two marks. Um, because the, I don't know if it how, how much in the consciousness, in your consciousness, this track perhaps was. Well, let me tell you a humorous story that we'll have probably the entire audience saying, Nick, why do you have this guy on the show? <laughs> um, basically, I, I saw this in your email and I watched it and it started playing and I'm like, this is beautiful. Oh my gosh. And I'm listening to it. I'm like, wow, this guy is really, really good. I'm really impressed by this. And then the beat came in and I was like, oh, really? Man, why did you put such a played out beat on this? Uh, this is this is like something, this is a 90s beat. Why would you do this? <laughs> so uh <laughs> Now I completely understand, and I regret that I don't think I was exposed to this, to my knowledge, in the 90s. And that's sad because, wow, that that is a fantastic piece of music. Yeah, it really did work. There's some lovely other sections to it as well. And it, it, and it, it really defined a kind of a, a period of time. It's like a snapshot. You know, you get those tracks that, that come up along and they're just, that's that's the sound of that particular era. And I remember at the time for me, well, perhaps we'll go into that anyway. Mark, you probably remember this. I mean, this was pr- a little outside the sort of acid era, but obviously yeah. it was a big, it was a really big thing all over Europe. Massive hit. Um, yeah, I was probably overexposed to it, actually. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything negative about it, but it's not my I Not like the thing. piano. I think the piano is beautiful, but that beat, that kind of what I mean, is it like trance or was it like it's a yeah, it's a of, classic Euro Euro trance type of for the time. See, yeah. I d- I liked it when it was all like smack on the beat, and then to throw things back off onto the offbeat thing. I felt that 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 was like a return back to the new order kind of thing of having it going gunga gunga gunga. Do you know what I mean? So we're going right. on and off the beat. And the emphasis in this is on that offbeat, isn't it? And I don't really like that. I like it when it's slamming right down hard on the beat. So I never really got into that whole, the whole stream of music that this spawned. I could never quite gel with. So interesting. um, I mean, I think the thing for me, it was very melodic. I mean, if you listen to the beautiful, yeah, it's really funny though. If you listen to it, it's like a a tech, not an era of technology defining record. It's got, Obviously, JV1080 on there. It's got a 303 style sound. I suspect it was a base station, to be honest, or a super base station. And uh, and it's also got, obviously, the 909. And I think that was an M1 piano or perhaps an O1D. And it's this entire, you know, this is... Because I remember at the time, you know, we had a base station. We had a JV1080, which is perhaps where some of those other sounds came from. And there's a bit of guitar in there, which sounds like it's probably a JV1080. It's like this entire sound set that somehow all of those presets were made 
almost so that this record could happen. And if that sounds, uh, without being yeah, too derivative, but it was, it was like a pinnacle. And I think that's the thing about that time. You know, it felt like it was, it was all the voicings that were current and now, and it really influenced some things after, you know, and it'd be amazing to have that kind of level of influence, even though, you know, now it might seem a little bit cheesy at the time, it was very defining. And certainly as a remixer and producer, it was like, right, we need to get these kind of sounds because everybody wants our remixes to sound I think to that's refer- where I went to wrong. To reference this kind of thing. That must be where I went wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, I want to avoid using that kind of sound. And then I didn't do any huge blockbuster 350,000 copy selling remixes, did I? So there you go. <laughs> I, I've been told perhaps actually it's not uh, an M1 piano. And I, I would agree, actually, it's not quite clangy enough. It might have been, uh, somebody says it might have been a Kurzweil K2000, or it might have been one of the uh, one of those other units, one of the Roland uh, piano units. I don't know, that sort of thing. Do, do I remember, Mark, did you have any of those items listed in my just my, my gear list that I just said? Did you have a 1080? Do yep. I remember? No, I had oh, absolutely none of those items. <laughs> you the, were, I mean, you were a multi, you, you know, when you were creating music, you were multi-instrumentalist, you were doing, what, what were you using at that time to do your thing? Pretty much from 1991 through 2000, I did everything on an EPS 16 plus sampler. Um, there was a few, when I was in college and, my college years were there at the beginning of that. My college had a Kurzweil uh, K1000 that I used. And I used like a, still was using an Alesis HR16 drum machine occasionally. But yeah, I didn't really have, I never got into the, those role, that series of Rollins that happened in the nineties. The multi-timbrality that was very, I mean, that, that whole thing about having a single unit and the M1 as well, having a single unit that allowed you to kind of voice the majority of a song you know whether it's just bread and butter sounds i mean the challenge was back then was trying to create these signature sounds out of things that weren't really designed for signature sounds or at least you had to work very hard at i think um in many ways and for me it was trying to get enough samples into the absolutely tiny eps 16 plus <laughs> memory in order to cover the bass and uh the drums and so like everything was a you know just the lowest uh, frequency response I could find. It was just sort of, you know, I made terrible, terrible sacrifices, but it, it resulted in a unique sound. But yeah, so basically the sequencer in the EPS 16 plus was where everything came from and everything else was me trying to use something that would sound new and interesting, but take up the least amount of space. Right. Yeah. I've, I, I know that feeling. I remember that. I mean, Mark, you had the same, you know, we've all had that same thing, but it's interesting that that some certain records can define a technological era. I mean, you know, there's the, the Josh Wink thing, the 909 and the uh, and the 303. You know, it's just bang, there it is. You know, those two. Anyway, sad news, but nice to celebrate uh, somebody's work and, you know, recognise that they're so influenced. I mean, uh, it went platinum in Switzerland, Canada, Germany, New Zealand, the UK. It went gold in the US, double gold in France. You know, I mean, big. It's a big big record big record um anyway uh let's see what's next um did you see this thing about the mp3 end of life which is really uh, i don't know if it's interesting or not but it may develop some interesting uh, uh 
discussion. This apparently uh, Fraunhofer, who are the people who um, you know started with the license of the MP3, uh, famously used uh, Suzanne Vega's a cappella vo- vocal of Tom's Diner, which uh, I have a, an affiliation with to recreate it, have now said they're no longer licensing it anymore. It's time's moved on. That's the end of that. So no more MP3. And it's But it's still massively useful. I mean, I don't know, Mr. Doty, do you uh, use, do you still use MP3, MP3s when you're sending out demos and this, that, and the other? I, yeah, I'm not even, I, I guess, I, I guess I, I'm not even sure. Why, <laughs> the, what is the output that I usually go with? I'm not, no, actually, I haven't done MP3s in a while because I can upload things to like SoundCloud, you know, in AIFF. And so I usually ah, do. Yeah. But if I was, I probably still would output it to MP3 from iTunes or something, if it even can still do that. I, I guess everything's AAC now. But yeah, well, that's that seems to be the, the the replacement now. I mean, I think uh, that seems to be the kind of you know that Farinoff themselves said you know there's just no point. It was never supposed to be the high fidelity thing. In fact, I know Mark Tinley, uh, you 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 uh, you were tested many things. tested many things. Uh, it was very bad at kind of uh, a r- richly harmonic distorted guitars, right? Yeah, and cymbals. It's horrific on cymbals. If you've got a, a single cymbal on its own, and it especially a china symbol it sounds like loads of bells playing it's like this which probably won't come out over skype because it's probably a similar um uh, you know encoding thing but yeah it did sound bloody awful actually but having said that when i encode things to send to people i encode them and whack them in mp3 because it's the most compatible thing out there so if you're sending something to somebody who's got an older computer and you're not sure whether they're going to be able to play it or not, if you whack it in MP3, it's going to play. Or if they put it in their little MP3 player, it might not support some of the newer formats. So it's it's definitely the most backward compatible. It's interesting. Where, that, I mean, there are some other factors about this. I mean, obviously, you know, vinyl's had a resurgence. I mean, I wonder if we're going to get to the situation where, oh, no. you know, in, in 20 years <laughs> that, that there'll be a resurgence of, oh, yeah, that MP3 codec at 96 kilobits or whatever, you know, that code. That's the one. That's how I want to get that sound. I mean, like, vinyl's had a resurgence. Tape's had a resurgence. One of cassettes my, even had a resurgence. Yeah, one of my suppliers has just sent me a list of all their new cassette decks. And they look like the things that I used to load the um, program data into my ZX Spectrum. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, why on earth would anybody buy one? Why would they buy one? But I've been told that the young people of today are into everything and anything retro. So they like it because it's retro, not because it sounds good, but because it has a certain feel to it. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes when you, you know... Well, maybe that's it. There'll be there'll be a sort of nostalgia for this kind of yeah, slightly grotty, <laughs> grotty sound. <laughs> but isn't it like maybe when the punk era came about, there was a certain faction of the punk era that broke off and went back into this kind of psychabilly rockabilly thing, and started wearing fifties clothes, and then they had this whole thing about certain fifties technology, um, and it was like all like cool things to have, like you know those crappy food mixers and stuff, and it's like, I don't know, same kind of vibe, I suppose. There's also, uh, according to the Gizmodo article, uh, there's even research suggesting the format's compression brings out negative emotional characteristics in musical instrument sounds. So we could have been exposed to this kind of really uh, emotionally stunted musical output for almost, well, it's 25 years since it was introduced. I don't know. whether you. How do you feel about that, Mark? Do you think you've perhaps been scarred for life? 
Well, yeah. <laughs> what I need to know, is it in tune with the universe? Is that compression scheme <laughs> in tune with the universe? And if not, have I been submitted to, you know, some sort of universe rebellion that uh, is bad for all of us? I think that's entirely possible. I, I would hate to, uh, I would hate to think what kind of damage... Do you think that, I mean, could you imagine, I mean, that, so now it's out of license, there, that'd be some kind of law, uh, massive, um, uh, uh, what do they call it, the uh, group case of, you know, uh, what do they call that? Class anime? action suit. Class action against Fraunhofer for emotionally damaging an entire generation of people's musical enjoyment. <laughs> well, I did wonder, okay, so what does this mean? Because I'll... I think with the, the ancientness of my computer, I'll always be able to make MP3s. Am I not supposed to now? Or is it just Yeah, I don't of... know. No, I you don't... can. You can do it without... It's it's now gone into the public domain, hasn't it? That I think maybe code. that's... Right. Okay, maybe you're right about that. I would like to... I obviously, take legal advice before uh, basing your entire business on the MP3 uh, outputting. <laughs> but yeah, I think you might be right there, Mark. But you could always have used the thing called LAME anyway, which is... Uh, What's it? Not another MP3 encoder or something, isn't it? I don't know, but it's uh, it's all about reach with all of these things. I mean, formats are important, even though they're kind of dull. But okay, well, I, I think at this point it's probably time to uh, revisit. Uh, well, let's see who perhaps who's won the uh, competition. That's right. That's Isotope Neutron. This is the uh, mixing tool uh, from Neutron from Isotope, which uses a lot of their latest technology. They've been using machine learning and all sorts of stuff. It's really quite interesting the technology that they've got in there. Anyway, this using the machine learning stuff, it recognizes the kind of tracks that maybe you're using and suggests what sort of processing you want on it. And it's also got a masking meter. And this is the really clever stuff, which basically gives you a visual representation of colliding frequencies within the mix that might be very hard to hear on your monitoring system, and you can then identify them, tweak them, and it really uh, by, opens out the mix and actually cleans up, particularly in the mids and lower mids. You can really clean out a whole thing and in the top end, obviously, affect the stereo imaging. It's very interesting technology. If you want to try it out, uh, go to isotope.com forward slash neutron and you'll be able to get, as with all their stuff, a 10-day demo. So uh, looking forward to... Uh, the next part of our isotope story, I, in fact, we've got some more to come, but if you want to uh, try out Neutron, isotope.com forward slash Neutron. Of course, uh, we had a competition, uh, it feels like weeks ago now, because I was going to announce the winner last week, but because of the power cut, obviously, we didn't have a show. Uh, I have a winner from the last time. Uh, there's a guy called Robert Charles Mann, whose uh, Twitter handle is at then came now. And he tweeted, uh, he tweeted, I've been waiting so long. Well, you've actually won this time. So I feel like I'm bringing some good news and spreading joy to uh, to Mr. Robert Charles, man. If you get in touch, uh, we'll pass you on to Isotope and they will deposit a um, copy of Neutron, full copy, into your account, uh, inbox, whatever, however it's done. Anyway, you've won. Congratulations. We've also got another competition that we're going to get run this week. And this is we're looking for the hashtag MixWell. Which is one uh, one word mix well and the hashtag neutron and you tweet that to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's the hashtag mix well and the hashtag neutron to at Isotope and at Sonic State and you will be entered for the competition. We'll announce the winner next week. So thank you very much to them for sponsoring uh, the competition. It's very much appreciated. So uh, Mark, you were playing some. What were you playing there? Did I hear you playing some music? How dare you? Me? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <Somebody>. <laughs> 
I thought I was <laughs> muted. Well, I muted you after a little while. That's absolutely fine. After all, this is a show about music, so that's no problem at all. Uh, well, actually, this is uh, kind of big, biggish news. Anyway, let's see. Did I have a video to play? I think I might. Yes, I do. I've got this. This is the another um, Moog reissue. This is the 3C or Moog. I do beg your pardon. Uh, and this is... Only 25 they're going to make of these. Uh, this is the original complete system that, that was designed to kind of give people who had the money the ability to create a complete working musical system. And this is a very nostalgic piece of electronica as well to demonstrate what it could do. I'm not sure it probably demonstrates all of the things it can do, but it can. there's a bit of uh, poly, polyphony, a bit of drummage, sequencing. This... The new 3C has 10 901 series audio oscillators, uh, the 984 matrix mixer, and the 905 spring reverb. And it's the sort of thing, I won't play the whole thing, it's the sort of thing that, you know, one, I know Ty's got a 55, and I see you've got a, a mini there. I mean, you've had your hands on the originals and this kind of thing. So, I mean, is this the sort of thing that you that you think is good or is exciting? I mean, it's it's nice to have this stuff in the world, right? Uh, this caught me by surprise. I didn't, I didn't know they were going to do this at all, which is weird because I usually, I usually hear like little bits of things, but I had no idea this was coming. And when it came out, I was like, wait a minute. Like, and I'm like, first I, I had doubt. Cause I was like, okay, no, you can't do a three C, uh, without 901s. I mean, what did you guys put your, you know, your 921s in there? The 901 is the oscillator in the original, and, uh, but no, apparently they, they've made 901s and that brings up an interesting question for me because anyone who's ever worked with a 901 knows that a, they sound so great and B their tuning is a massive challenge and their range is a massive challenge. Uh, oftentimes, uh, in many of the, the vintage Moog modulars I've played, you have about a two octave range before the range goes wonky. Wow. Um, <laughs> that is challenging. And that's just one of the sad things about the 901. Although I have played 901s that somehow were better and no one <laughs> seems to know why that is. But I wonder how in this day and age with people so tense about tuning and, you know, precision, how, anyone's going to respond to, you know, if, if they've accurately recreated the 901, it's going to be pretty messy, but I hope that they left some of that mess in there because that's where the tone comes from. So, uh, I'm excited. I, I really, and also this is a, a weirdly historic moment, uh, because the three C's did not have the Moog logo on them. They said RA Moog on them. So it's really weird to see like a 901 with the Moog logo. That was uh, a weird outcome. Um, I'm not sure like the console panels of the three C were different than the console panels in the 1974 modular remake. So I'm wondering, I haven't like examined the console panels in the original 3C to compare it to uh, what was done in 74 to see if they like actually remade all those console panels too, which would be totally weird. But uh, yes. It's a, I mean, I wonder if anyone's going to be just because, I mean, it's yeah, a whole chunk of money. You know, I mean, you'd hope that you'd know about all of this stuff before you bought it because you could imagine it coming and then going, hmm. 
I'm a bit disappointed about the stability of my oscillators that cost right. me 35k or whatever, you know. But uh, uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's a, it's a collector's piece, really. I would guess. I mean, I'm guessing Mark Tinley, you're probably uh, not thinking about uh, pushing the button on one of those. It's perhaps not something that is thrilling for you. The only thing it makes me think of, and I'm good. It's not too sideways, I promise. Is um, sort of in the 19 end of the 1980s i think there was a company in britain that started making a mark ii jaguar and it looked exactly like a mark ii jaguar and they tweaked a few bits underneath but basically it was like tens of thousands of pounds just before the whole um you know the whole um uh, yuppie bubble burst and everyone lost all their money um you could buy this brand new car that was an old jaguar and it just seems I don't know. It's a cool thing for a very limited people of, uh, to do. So it makes sense for them to make 35 of them, I suppose. But uh, I'm not going to be one of the 35 people who buy it because I want the latest technology in my car. So when I crash into someone, I don't kill myself. <laughs> or them. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fair enough. That's fair Although enough. My I mean... music might be the opposite to that, thinking about it. When, when I play mm. music, I want it to sound like I am crashing into things. And it's... Uh... <laughs> Well, there's a spring reverb in there as well, so you can always just whack the case. Oh, now wait, now that makes it exciting. (laughs) Maybe you could just buy the spring reverb on its own. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, uh, while we're on the top, uh, there was some really uh, just breaking news. Uh, subsequent 37 has just been announced as well, which is a kind of uh, a, an update or a limited edition of the Sub 37, which, uh, as you know, I've got one of those, and they do sound really lovely. And they've what they've done is they've added uh, six assignable uh, CV gate outputs and updated and what have they done they've changed the the uh more multi-drive wider range and dirtier also better headroom which is good because in duo mode it would always just blow the filter up without kind of you know even if you didn't really want it to unless you really dial it back uh 2000 units upgraded key bed and a higher power headphone amp but that's uh, that's the moogfest announcement so if that's something so while we're doing the moog portion of the thing I, and that I, I tell you mike that's something the, the sub 37 is a great synthesizer there is no two ways of uh, uh about it it really is uh, uh, one of their finest for some time i don't know if you've had have you had your hands on one of those mr tinley wait sorry i was muted i don't that's know right. if i have or not um <laughs> Is that the little one? No, it's the it's the last big one. No, no well, maybe you haven't. Oh no, I had my hands on a Moog Voyager. Is it similar yeah, to no, that? It, it's not actually. I think oh, it's kind of different. I better I know, find um, out what this is then. Sorry yeah, about maybe that. so. <laughs> Mark, have you have you tried? Did you do something on the Sub Thirty Seven whenever that came along? I can't remember whether that's uh, whether you did or not. No, the Sub Thirty Seven came out after my sort of uh, schism with Moog Music. Ah. Uh, so I've only played one in like a music store. So, but uh, yeah, that's I have I do not have an extensive experience uh, with the Sub Thirty Seven. Okay, well, I've googled it now. <laughs> I always check my review. I did a review on it, and I, I've been using it anyway. Well, Hang we'll, on a minute. We'll, didn't we'll, you have one at that show that we did in Bath? Was that uh, in Bristol? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's oh, right. I have seen it then. Yes, you must have done. Yeah. All right, well, maybe we'll move on then. Let's see what else we've got. <laughs> um, uh, oh, God, this is bonkers. Did you see this? This is called Self, which is... Neural synthesizer. A guy called Guy Ben-Ari. 
took some cells out of his body and created a neural network then interfaced it with a modular system with some clever stuff going on. Made of analog modular synthesizers that work in synergy. The neural networks are bioengineered from the project's initiator, Guy Benari's cells. There is no programming or computers involved, only biological matter and analog circuits. A wetalog instrument. Wetalog. I like the sound. I'm not going to play the whole thing, um, but that, that goes on. There's, there was performance with a live drummer playing, and the cells responded to the audio stimulation by reacting and controlling the analog stuff. And this is one of those kind of bonkers sci uh, science stories where you just think, oh, wow, I can't wait to hear what that's like. But actually, when you listen to it, it's, <laughs> it's really disappointing. And you, you sort of oh. want this. You want to have some kind of like, oh, it came up with a melody or, wow, that's really clever. And it, I mean, the technology is fascinating. And it, it's obviously a very early stage. But it's, it, it seems like one of those things that you just kind of go, Oh, that's a shame. It didn't quite kind of make you get quite so thrilled. I don't know, Mark. Have you, uh, Mark Tinley? Have you? Did you check that video out? It's a really. I mean, the, I can't superb. imagine. I can't imagine how much it must have cost. Yeah, to I develop. Mean, it looks absolutely brilliant, and I love the idea. But I think that as human beings, we've evolved music in a very specific way, and that and that you have to teach anything that you're asking to play music, those rules, otherwise it won't make sense. And that also, in different cultures, interpret sound and music in different ways. I was thinking about this in the bath this morning, actually. I started to make a list of things. But basically, all sound is like things colliding into other things, isn't it? So a hitty thing hits another thing, or rubs it, or, uh, or it vibrates in sympathy to something else. But then as human beings, we've picked certain intervals and decided those things are more important than other things. And this thing probably doesn't know any of those rules. So until No, I'm guessing it doesn't. It, Actually, <laughs> this is rather unkind, but it made me chuckle. Uh, this is Borjors in the chat room. He says, he must have taken the cells from his arse. <laughs> that's kind of, it's kind of mean, but... But it always feels terrible to kind of belittle something like this because it, it the process and the concept is amazing. And, you know, the, the technology and all of those things, it's just unfortunately the results don't kind of quite give you the payoff that one is sort of really desperately hoping that that's the case for. I don't know, um, Miss Doty, are you... Uh, uh, how do you feel about this kind of whole AI uh, uh, thing? Or does your... Does, do you think it should stop at a range of keyboards? <laughs> well, I mean, I think... What this is, is postmodern art, really. It's, it's a concept, and the concept is the important part of it. It's like this music was made from this process, which is kind of a postmodern concept. Uh, and the process is the important part of it. And the outcome is like an interesting reflection of the process. But again, I agree with what Mark was saying. Like music is, we talk about, people scream on and on about how music is all subjective and anything is music and blah, blah, blah. But that's really, really essentially not true. No. We can appreciate a wide variety of sounds, but when we really think about music, there is a language to language. our, like yeah. our musical expression. And we speak that language to each other and we have emotional responses from it. Yeah. And this, <laughs> this, I just think this thing would work a little bit better if it, it adequately dem demonstrates the importance of sentience in brain cells. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. It's language, because we could say that all noises uh, 
could be us communicating with each other. But if I go, if, if it's not following certain rules, it's not understandable at the receiving end of that, is it? And it's, so, yeah, and it's meaningless. It so might we convey our emotion. communication to the person that we're speaking to, and we do the same with music. So if I'm in a punk band, and I know my audience are all punk rockers, and they want to feel a certain way, I'm going to play something that's going to make them feel like that. And I, I'm buying into that whole kind of um, genre of music and that whole cultural kind of bias and creating in that realm. And this just seems to be randomly creating in sort of, I don't know, the the world of yeah, being it's able interesting. to make a noise. There's, there's, more, there's more videos in it. And in one of the videos, it was kind of, he, as uh, as a younger man, you know, was, was really, this is Guy Benari, he, he, he wanted to be a rock star. So he's trying, he, uh, they're implying that he's projecting his desire to be a rock star into this kind of Petri dish of cells that is controlling music. So it can be the rock star, which, you know, conceptually, again, it's a kind of conceptual issue. It's kind of fun, but it, it, it's, it's very far from any of the ingredients that you would need to be a rock It's a kind of media star. I mean, it's become well known for being what it is, but not for what it does, perhaps. Does that make right. sense? I, I don't know. But I've anyway. tried doing this myself, actually. With children, I thought if I project my ideas onto my children, one of them will want to be a rock star. One of them wants to be a school teacher. The middle one is a really cool bartender. And then the youngest one says that guitars are not cool, Dad. And girls will not like me at school if I play the guitar. You're talking rubbish. And the only thing that's cool is Minecraft or Roblox. Wow. Okay. Uh, although a very singular pursuit, I suppose, in many ways. Um, so yeah, maybe he needs to rethink that theory a little bit. I but, know. Yeah, but I, he's not I, a teenager yet. When once he hits teens, I reckon he'll realise that uh, the girls do go for the guys with the guitars still. Well, that's interesting. That is an or, interesting. Or maybe theory. the cool synth. Well, I'm not sure they go for the guys with the synths. I don't know, Mark. How does it work for you? Because I certainly am not getting prop- proposition very often. Hey, ladies. Check my sin. <laughs> Which mark me or him? I have these. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I've been. I've done pretty well with synths. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is heading in a direction that's perhaps go- only going to end in something bad. I know. I'm going to play this because uh, speaking of synths, have you checked out our uh, synth? This is the uh, Max for Live device that we've done in conjunction with Metafunction. This is a uh, four-voice paraphonic Max for Live synthesizer. It's got three filters, five LFOs, five envelopes, and wavetable synthesis, and a 12-slot modulation matrix. I mean, you know, you've got to check. It's, it's £19. It's the price of, you know, a couple of beers. So do check it out. Bitly slash Wave Junction will get you there. Or if you go to the site, there's ads for it everywhere. And I'm going to do some more videos on that because I've been getting some really lovely sounds out of it. And I want to push it. And I want you to... I want to give you guys a vehicle to help support the site too. So we're just trying a few things. And, I'm, and we suggest if you're into Max for Live, check it out. Anyway. That's the sort of that was a non-ad ad, wasn't it? It was a bit apologetic. I'm not going to apologise. What the hell? Yeah, buy buy, the, it. buy my well stuff buy right now. <laughs> what are you thinking? Even if you haven't got Max for Life, just buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I could sell you a set of guitar strings for nineteen pounds. Nineteen pounds is nothing these days. Nothing at it, all. It's funny, isn't it? But the whole concept of free is really uh, it's played havoc with commercial. Um, commercial I think it stuff. has. Yeah. 
Totally. Um, let's see. Where's this? Ah, did you see this guy? The uh, push turn move book. This might be something that interests you. This is the uh, book by the guys from. Let me see. I think there might be. Is there a video I can play? Oh yeah. In my is day it... job as a graphic designer, Jeez. I've always been interested in functionality and aesthetics, especially in the Scandinavian way of approaching design, but also in how we interact with things around us. It's the same curiosity that makes me spend all my free time with electronic musical instruments. I've spent ages on YouTube, blogs, and magazines, studying great inventors. Oh, like it's too Bob long. Missed your sales point. This is basically the new, a new book, Push Turn Move. Controllers to mixers. Basically, it's like one of those kind of coffee table books that uh, is talking about the concept of synthesis, interfaces, controllers, all that kind of stuff. And it's it, it's turned into this kind of complete monster because they started off as like, oh, yeah, we'll get some funding. Yeah, it's, a 300. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I saw it at Superbooth. They came up and showed me a kind of draft print. It's a really beautifully printed thing. And they were looking for a Kickstarter function, uh, f um, funding. Uh, I think 50,000 Danish kroner, which is, I think it's about, I don't know what that is, actually. I think it's about... Oh, five. It's not much, basically, and they've they've exceeded it by a thousand percent. They've actually raised five hundred and forty thousand uh, Danish kroner, which is about fifty grand. Uh, it's got a forward by Jean Michel Jarre, uh, a whole bunch of other contributors. Although I'm 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 not sure. Uh, if any any I don't know if you might were approached for this. I mean, it's obviously their particular take on it, but it's a it's a beautiful thing, and the idea of this kind of you know, going back to this old school concept of a coffee table book about synths. I mean, when we were kids, we buy these kind of things. It just sort of feels somehow like, ah, oh, why would you do that? No one's going to want it. But look, look how many people want this thing. I had two responses to it. My first response was a swear word because I've actually really wanted to write a book about synthesizer interfaces. And I mean, it's probably what I would do is probably very different from this book because there's a, a number of concepts I want to portray, but I'm like, wait a minute, how is, is there enough of a market for synthesizer interface books that two can exist? And to be honest, I don't think so, especially if this one's like 300 pages. It's like, even if mine was completely about different things, it's like, yeah, it's such a niche concept. They beat, you, they beat you to it. They beat me, but it looks really beautiful. And I'm really, I want to read it. It looks really interesting. Push to move. I think it's going to be dropping around September. I mean, you know, do, do you still kind of hanker after those? I mean, there used to be these kind of specialist bookshops that only sold kind of coffee table type books, you know, like those uh, Tashin uh, uh, books of, you know, 50, 500 chairs and, you know, all of those things. And they were the same for guitars and music making things. I mean, they just I seem to be a thing of the past, but they're not. I mean, I'm, I'm well, really glad this exists. It's weird, actually, because on uh, there's uh, either three or four bookshops that sell books like this on Glastonbury High Street. Um, and they and um, I don't know, I like these kind of things. So. There's something really nice, especially if they're really like, uh, you know, that like almost like four mica white paper. Yeah, like I the think Dawling Kindersley books with like tractors. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you the numbers because I've just whacked it in XE.com. So he wanted to raise about seven thousand dollars. I'll do it in dollars because then that helps uh, the Americans. Uh, and he's actually raised eighty thousand us dollars she, he wow. she whoever's doing it so but i think i i think he is about to raise a little bit more because i think i want that book so that's uh, a guy <laughs> called K 
Kim Bjorn from Copenhagen. Now, like I say, I messed, I met them at uh, Super. They were really lovely. They were kind of walking around with a, a draft print. I mean, it wasn't finally finished, but it's it is a really lovely thing. And uh, yes, I mean, I, I used to have um, I there's a, a book called the Guitar Handbook, which is really good. That's the one I've got. It's, yeah, I and remember. then there's another uh, one which is called the Synthesizer, either the Keyboard Handbook or the Synthesizer Handbook. I've still got all those books. I think um, I had that as well. And that might have a forward by Thomas Dolby or, or it might be Howard Jones, actually. I can't remember. But It's funny, though, because the, the notion of like kind of books about current technology, just the life cycle of the public, the publication cycle, by the time it gets out, yeah, it's already out, particularly with the way that things move at the moment, it's already out of date. And, you know, you might be waxing lyrical about a book might have come out where they're waxing lyrical about the called Monotron, you know, finally. But it's, you know, two years or three years or however many years ago, you know, it's it moves so fast. It's almost impossible to keep that sort of off. So I think you're right, Mr. Uh, Doty. You know, the idea is to go and go more for the con- the concept and the, the 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 philosophies behind it and the thing, you know, the beautiful design things, because obviously quite a lot of Swedish uh, instruments have a lovely design aesthetic. So it's just a thing of beauty right well yeah and there's it's such a fascinating you know we don't really see with musical instruments the procedure of interface that has occurred because uh it happened so long ago and so many of the instruments even at the beginning of the 20th century that we were using came about at least 100 years ago and before so we were sort of stuck with these musical interfaces for centuries which is really cool but when synthesizer technology arose, how, how people came to the conclusions about how electrons should be controlled, it's a fascinating thing. What sort of tactical interface is the right one for making electrons do a thing? And so the history is really amazing. And it's interesting, whenever someone would come out with a decent idea everyone would sort of glom onto that and it became part of the language of the instrument. Mm. And that's been a hugely interesting thing. And then we come up, of course, to the mini Moog and the mini Moog like was so massively definitive that everything after it is still pretty much, you know, this design. And as far as interface is concerned, still knobs, still wheels, still essentially keys, although that's falling away, but it, it was a huge, huge impact. And I think people today are asking, well, is that the language that I want to use to interact with these electrons? And I think that's an interesting question. But also, I think people also need to realize that we came up with these interfaces because they were the ones that worked. Yeah, anyway, they're not always the best. Well, well, I mean, because you see those not like those nineteen fifties kind of RCA and Philips oscillators and these things, and they just got they've got the sort of huge, just a huge dial with a load of funny switches on, and it, you know you can't think that is not necessarily easy to use. It's just that's kind of what was available. Those are the parts that might have been available. To make. I, actually, I, I'm talking of the history of this thing. I I saw a really fascinating. BBC program, which if you get the chance to check it, it's probably still on the iPlayer. If in the UK, you might be able to see it. I don't know if you can see it in the rest of the world. It's got the history of electricity. And I just did not know how transistors and all of those things kind of and diodes developed due to people growing these kind of these crystals of differing uh, layers of stuff that enabled you to upscale voltages from uh, amplify things and it just blew my mind I, I just did not know about that stuff and it's a fascinating history I mean you know it's it, I guess it's related to electronic music because without it we wouldn't be where we are today but just 
they've, they've still got these these huge kind of rooms where they're growing massive germanium crystals uh, combined with other elements and in different layers. So when you take a slice out of it and make a silicon wafer, it's got this voltage differential and gain in, and it just allows you to do all this, you know, these ridiculous... Ch- I mean, it was just... It blew my mind. And the, the, it's one of those technological solutions that you just think, how on earth did we manage to figure that out? That looks so complicated. I mean, mm. we think sometimes, hey, who invented the Wellington boot? You know, it's like, why did they need that? How did they, or how did they decide a sandwich of these ingredients was, was, would be a good idea? Or how did you figure out how to cook beef? You know, but this is just out there completely in terms of trying to solve those problems. I find that really fascinating. Uh, it's well worth checking out. I can't remember what the name of it is now. But uh, yeah, do so anyway. Um, push turn move. I think you can st- you can get it. I think they're going into production. It looks like it's going to be retailing in October, which and they're you know they're expensive seventy five euros. They're not they're not cheap, but it's a high value coffee table book. Let me see if I've got a picture of this here uh, about the book. There we go. Oh look, we get get a logo featured on Sonic State. There, uh, we've got Devine, Moldova, Skinner Box, Axel Hartman, Dave Smith, Dorrit, uh, Teenage Engineering, uh, Jordan Rudess, of course. Uh, there was, uh, I'm pretty sure I thought there was some other people I was going to mention. Anyway, perhaps not. But, so that's push, turn, move. What else have we got? God, it's five to five. Can't believe I've been talking nonsense for so long. Oh, yeah, come on, we got to do this. Hold on, here we go. Is this going to play? Oh, I do play. Please. Ah. Oh. Okay. There's such a great synth sound in this. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Happy birthday. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. Oh, you know what? The the sound is better than the visuals in that for me. I mean, I, I'm still looking for where's the guy who does I do eyes. You know, where's the all of those characters that I know and Rutger Hauer and all of those people. But yeah, that's the news that, that we we have covered this before. But I had to do it again because I heard that trailer. And I thought, ooh, that sounds really promising. Uh, there's Blade Runner, obviously uh, 2049 coming on. I think it's October the sixth. I got really excited because I thought it was actually the 10th of June instead, rather than the sixth of the 10th. And I was like, oh wow, I could watch it next week. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> We've had this discussion before. Rich famously, Rich Hilton famously hasn't seen Blade Runner, which is kind of mind blowing. Seriously? Apparently wow. not. No, this is. Wow. Um, um, but an interesting that. I was about Mr. to go into some huge negative rant about why would they keep bloody remaking things. Then when you played that, even though you played that over Skype and it's just come out over Skype, all the hairs on the back of my neck and all of my arms went on end after those a couple sounds. So I wonder. I I'm wonder. Going, whoa, 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 they this done? is really like, interesting whoa. actually because I was talking to Ty about this because he was going to come on and we were going to do this uh, last week, and uh, he said that the trailer in this case is uh, it was Johan uh, Johansson is doing the music for the film. Yeah. But we don't think he's done the music for the trailer. So I don't know whether those are some of his sounds incorporated or not. Mark, you look like you're, uh, to, uh, Doty, you look like you have something to say here. <laughs> uh, 
Well, yeah, my thing, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to be like, this should all be done on a CS80. And, you know, I have all these ideas. But I have to admit, like, I agree with you totally in that trailer. The music and the sound in that was breathtaking. And then, I mean, it really... The visuals alone and the idea certainly uh, is very moving for people like me and uh, you. And uh, but the the sounds were just really I don't even care how they were made. They're just gorgeous. And then hearing those thematic elements from the original, like Mark said, like my I got goosebumps and I kind of teared up a little like an idiot. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I. it's it's overwhelmingly cool. It's really interesting, actually, or maybe it's not interesting, but the fact that the star of that trailer, I mean, apart from your, the stars, is that massive sync, wobbly vibrato, analog sounding. I don't know if it is an analog sync. It right. sounded quite analog. It may not be. And that is basically, you know, that theme with that massive synth sound, that is kind of the star of it. And that is a beautiful thing to be able to kind of go that's the thing that defines Blade Runner, you know, that one mm. element. And it obviously it's been modified and it's different. It's not actually quite the same. And I wonder what it is that made that sound. I'd love to talk to the person who did the trailer on that and see if they can find out what it was. Do you know what it's, my it's guess probably is, a soft synth, isn't it? <laughs> my best guess is that that is a thing called a Kaima Capybara or whatever the latest instance of that is. Those are the is kinds that... of sounds that that piece of software stroke hardware makes. Um, I'd love to get my hands on one. Yeah, they're quite expensive, aren't they? Very expensive, yeah. Don't you have really to really niche and just very weird, but they do make some amazing noises. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that I don't know what taking bets, Mister Doty. Do you think that was actually an analog synth? Do you think it was? Because it, it sounded oversynced for a CS80. It didn't sound. It sounded like a a CS80 on steroids. It's probably like Ni Massive or something like that, right? It sounded very, very clean and. Yeah, I I would guess that it wasn't an analog synth because, and I I would doubt that it was a CS80. But you know, I mean, with <laughs> can you imagine? We want the trailer by Monday. Yeah, no problem. Oh damn, that stopped working. Uh, wait, can you just wait a little while while I get my synth fixed, <laughs> and then I can do the then I could do the trailer. No, sir, you just lost the gig. Yeah, right. But yeah, it's. Uh... I, I'd be surprised if it was analog, but again, like it, it carries such emotional weight due to association and the fact that it's just a great sound that uh, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, speculations. <laughs> it was a deep mind 12. I'm not sure it was. I'd be very surprised if it was, <laughs> but I'm uh, not that as deep mind 12 can't sound good. It just doesn't sound like that from my ears, but it, it's interesting. It had, ele- it wasn't fully synced. It was, it kind of just sounded like a bunch of oscillators tuned. So you get that sync-like uh, sound without it being oscillator sync, if you see what I mean. I mean, I, I'm making a massive amount of uh, so they sort of based. They all sort of morphed into a noise away. From, so they started off all, all like a sync kind of synced tones, and then it kind of burst into this kind of expansive noise, didn't it? So Yeah. Uh, it's probably some massive Pro Tools session with about 3,000 elements. <laughs> and no, none, of, none of them being Including analog. screaming nuns. Yeah, no analog um, electronics anywhere near any of it. You know, yeah. I guess that doesn't matter, of course. It's just, but it's interesting how, like you say, uh, Doty, that the, you know, the, uh, ev- how it evokes. I wonder if it has the same effect for people who have perhaps not got 
the kind of cultural uh, reference of the original Blade Runner and how exciting that was at the time. I wonder that too. I mean, because it's very, very, I'm finding myself very emotionally responsive to some of these remake things or some of these referential things, the Star Wars stuff. Uh, I suppose it's probably age, but I mean, these things have been with us our entire lives. And, but I wonder, like, do people hear that and just go, oh, the big synthesizer stab, you know, whatever. Uh, because for me, it carries such huge emotional connection. So I'm, I'm not sure. I wonder. Hmm. Anyway, uh, I had to get that in there, and I'm I'm ready to uh, to uh, counteract the copyright claim uh, on the YouTube because I'd say as a movie trailer that is fair usage because it was illustrative of the film, and that's what mm -hmm. it's for, right? So anyone can wants to back me up, I might be looking for uh, some expert witnesses uh, when <laughs> YouTube try and uh, take me to court for whatever reason. Oh yeah, we we be, uh, we we got 100k. Woohoo! 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, oh, excellent. And I, I, I forgot to mention that. I, I, I think I mentioned it last week, and then obviously the show <laughs> the show was aborted due to the power cut. Uh, so, yes, I think, well, I don't know what we're at now, uh, 100,001 or something like that. But uh, for those of you, I'm going to put the play button somewhere visually where you can see it. It's apparently a silver play button. You get, you get a silver play button at 100,000. Then you get a gold one at a million, which is... You know, I, I can't see we're ever going to get there. It's still quite niche. But then you get a, a diamond one at 10 million. So there's, I think there's some, they're, they're pretty basic. And I, what I'm hoping that we can actually order more than one so we can pass them on to our other contributors as well so they can all share it rather than have to come round and I'll go, there it is, look. No, you can't borrow it. It's mine. Or, well, it's not mine. It's all down to the team. So that's what I just want to say. Thanks to them and well done. And thanks to all of our subscribers. Just because we hit 100K, if you haven't subscribed, please keep going. Let's let's go for that million. Only 999,000 to go. Shouldn't take long. Another 100 like, years then. You think 100 years? Yeah, maybe. Something like that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe I'll. There'll be. Maybe what I can do is, if I leave some cells behind, then in a hundred by the time a hundred years come around, that my cells can be presenting Sonic Talk in the style of myself and responding to the cell your cells that are also in Petri. We'll be like the, make, kind of, the Simpsons heads in jars, you know, a Futurama, <laughs> right? I'll make a little pulse width modulator then to make sure the cells are getting to do something interesting there. Okay, that sounds perfect. Anyway, I think that's it for this week. Thank you very much, everybody. I don't know if we got quite to everything. I wanted to do a couple of shout-outs, actually, because we had a visit from Isotope uh, yesterday and uh, and also the guys from... Uh, oops, I need to scroll up. From Time and Space. Uh, had an, uh, we, got, we, we went out on a jolly lunch. It was very nice. Uh, but we've got a presentation of RX-6, which is coming out, and we're going to coincide that, and we'll flip the prize as well. So I think we're going to be giving away RX-6 for a little while, and there's some pretty cool features in there. So thanks to Lars, and thanks to Lexi as well, and also uh, Melanie and all the guys at Time and Space, because they said they listen to this or watch it live. So we'll give them a wave. It'll be like the like the 70s Woo! with Gus, Gus Honeybun. Yeah, and we'll turn the lights off. Everybody folks like, you know, live TV stuff. Anyway, that's it. Thank you very much for watching, everybody. Uh, it's been a pleasure as ever. Thank you, Mr. Tinley, for joining us. Um, You're very welcome. From, from Glastonbury. And uh, people obviously welcome to go and see your shop at certain Sonus Majors. Are you Not selling online now? too many at now? once, though. Uh, it's a small, small venue. Yeah, it's very small. Only. I can fit about four customers in now at the most. Wow, okay. Is that because you've expanded your stock or you've made more space so you can fit more customers? I've made more space so I can fit more customers. I had expanded the stock to such a point where it just got to the point where about one person could get in there and it was getting very silly. 
So I've done some clever things. I've hired a, I've rented a cupboard. So I've got a little workshop now. Um, so some of my stuff is now in my workshop. And I bought, um, I had someone laughing at this earlier on. I bought like, you know, those clothes rails. Uh, there's a guy down the end who's got a comic store and he's got T-shirts outside his shop. So I thought all of these soft bags for guitars, they're just kicking around the shop and taking up space. So I've got them all outside. So when people go past, I say, excuse me, sir, what size guitar are you? And then I can measure them up, you know. <laughs> ah, so you can sell them a, a soft bag. But the, uh, the hidden rub, of course, is that people looking for T-shirts look down and think, oh, there's some more clothes down there. And they come wandering down because I'm in a very hidden uh, part of the muse. Oh, Mark, so the the I'm intricacies of the psychology of retail. Yes, that's, exactly. that's, that's a real, yeah, that's a, that's a whole other podcast right I there. I googled that and I found some pictures of very big shops and how to lay out a big shop. And I thought none of these layouts are working mine. So anyway. <laughs> oh, well, never yeah. mind. One day. <laughs> Thank you for joining us though, Mark. It's a oh, pleasure to have well. you. And also Mr. Mark Doty in your uh, new abode. Um, so what do you, I, I, I forgot to ask, uh, what, is, what are your plans? Have you got a kind of new direction, new things lined up? What's, what's happening in your world that you can talk about? Um, I am uh, still trying to put together. Uh, there are uh, some podcasts that are going to start happening. I'm trying to produce a series of videos uh, talking about the historical elements that I typically talk about when I do presentations. Uh -huh. uh, and I intend to market those. So basically more of the same sort of historical things and uh of course, the possibility of these podcasts coming up. So um, I'm not sure I can talk about all of those either. But yeah. That's so. all right. Okay. Well, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, do thank check you out for Mark's channel, Automatic Gainsay YouTube, and we hope to have you again soon. Uh, we'll have uh, another show next week, and then uh, uh, there's a week off because I get a holiday, and I just checked, and it's actually... 25 degrees where i'm going uh, whereas here it's raining almost all the time and i haven't worn shorts yet this year it just feels like there's no summer in the uk so i'm out of here but i'll be around next week and then uh, we have a week's break. Anyway, that's it. Thanks for me for watching. Oh, I should say uh, just a quick recap. Uh, if you want to enter the oops, enter the uh, competition. Uh oops, i think i pressed the wrong button there. What's happened now? Help. Ah, here we go. If you want to enter the competition, <laughs> Yes, there it is. Uh, tweet the hashtag MixWell and the hashtag Neutron to at SonicState and at Isotope Inc. And you'll be entered the competition. You'll win a copy of Isotope's excellent Neutron. And I did forget to mention, actually, when you do tweet, they have, I confirmed this with Lexi the other day, uh, they have screens in their kind of social areas and in the uh, the canteens and stuff, which kind of trigger and show all the hashtags and all the mentions of the company. So anything you put there will actually go past a substantial number of the Isotope employees in real time. So that should be a lot of fun anyway. So just keep it clean, folks. But say say nice things about us. That's that's all we yeah. uh, keep so we can keep it up. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for watching. We'll see you next time. <laughs>